Hey everyone, this next interview is with uh, T. Cole Newton. He is a bar owner in uh, New Orleans, a bar called uh, 12 Mile. He's uh, someone I met in the USBG conference uh, back in 2014 while we were both competing in uh, world class. I caught up with him at San Antonio Cocktail Conference. He was doing a seminar on health. When I saw that on the schedule, I signed up for it. After the seminar, I asked him to do the interview, which he was uh, happy to do. Now, there's a, a couple of things that I'd like to have everyone take away from this. That is one, that uh, there's been a lot of conversation about the abuse of alcohol and drugs in our industry. And there has been kind of this divide between abstinence and just, you know, you only live once, you know, YOLO. And I feel like there needs to be that conversation about moderation. So for some people, what abstinence does is it makes them feel like they're missing out. But it's like, well, fuck it. You know, they just go to partying all the time and going through this back and forth. And the, uh, the partying all the time and going hardcore is really dangerous because of the fact that your body's going to give out eventually. Okay, you're abusing your body. And abusing your body means you're abusing your mind. So, in the moderation is something that does take a lot more discipline at the beginning than afterwards. You, you get used to waking up without a hangover. And so the discipline is in deciding how much you're going to drink uh, before you have your first drink. One drink, two drinks, three drinks, right? And once you have those, that's it. You're done. And it also allows you to decide who you really want to be around because people that don't respect the fact that you have decided to have one drink, two drinks, three drinks, and they want to force it on you, well, you probably have to look into that relationship. And then you also find the people that are very supportive. And, and that is really nice because you realize that there are some people that really respect the decisions that you make. That said, um, enjoy it. Hello everyone, I'm David Dacry, and welcome to the Open Bar Experience. I know bartenders and bar owners who don't drink at all, who don't touch it anymore. And if that's the right call for them, I, I respect that decision, but it does make things harder. Newton. Happy to be here. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, I own a bar in New Orleans called 12 Mile Limit. That's my primary hustle. I am also the current president of the New Orleans chapter of the United States Bartenders Guild. And I've got a project in the works for maybe a second spot coming up uh, later this year. So stay tuned. Knock on wood if everything goes according to plan. So maybe early summer. We can, uh, I can have something new to talk about on that front. But uh, it's a okay. little early to start counting that chicken. What kind of bar is it? Uh, well, 12 Mile Limit is a, is a cocktail dive bar is the, is the quickest way to describe it. So it's, a, it's an approachable neighborhood bar uh, with reasonably priced drinks. We try to be 
you know, good good neighbors and sort of an extension of people's homes in that way that a good neighborhood bar is. But we also have uh, an overachieving cocktail program, so we can we can make all the classics. Uh, we have a, a, an excellent selection of uh, of original cocktails. All of our bartenders are very talented, uh, but it's it's without the attitude that some people sometimes associate with it. And the new bar, I kind of want to do a similar concept, but I want to do that with a wine bar. So I think more and more you're starting to see the cocktail dive take off and people bringing that unpretentious approachable feel to the cocktail world, but I don't think we've seen as much of that in the wine world, but there's plenty of room for it. And I think a, a lot of people like wine, but they don't like a lot of attitude. So no, there's uh, room for that. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, where I'm at right now, it's a coffee shop that just got their liquor license and uh, wine sales are top all the time. And uh, although people are now know that we have liquor still, wine is just, it's, it's, it's it, I think now, after the wine movement, it has uh, ingrained itself in our culture, mm -hmm. and um, there's so much good wine now, yeah. right at a reasonable price. That there's no reason to step away from it. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting the the degree to because wine really came along first and was on the forefront of the sort of taking drinking seriously. Like there was always fine wine, and 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 cocktails sort of followed along a, a few years after that. Um, but it's interesting the degree to which it's swung back for cocktails. It hasn't really for wine in the same way to to expand the franchise to make it not just fancy. You know that a lot of most of your wine drinkers aren't drinking anything with an age statement on it or a year. They're mostly drinking box wine, Carlo Rossi, you know, jug wine, and then and there's nothing wrong with that. So in the same way that we sell mostly like we sell fancy cocktails, but our highest selling item by volume at Twelve Mile Limit is PBR. And I can see some, well, I'm, I'm considering having our house wines at, at the new spot be a Carlo Rossi jug or something along those lines. Oh, really? Just something some cheap, fun, but you know what? People like it. It's good stuff. Okay. I mean, yeah, I always go for the uh, the uh, underrated stuff, the like uh, Spanish wine, Portugal mm -hmm. wine. Yeah, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good. And in keg? Yeah, I've, I've been considering that. Like, the cost is, is high up front, so I'm not sure if that's something we'll be able to do at launch. But, but it lasts longer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. But... Talking about taking drink, uh, drinking seriously, um, you did a seminar today about the uh, drinking, focusing uh, a bit of our attention on drinking moderately because it seems like you know it's either you are you know not talking about drinking at all and you're drinking hard, or if you're talking about the drinking issue, then um, it seems to to be abstinence. And, right. And and there is, I think that that uh, let me put this out there that. I think for is is to each his own, but at the same time, it, that goes further than just decision. I think that some people chemically probably are more prone. Sure, they're, they're genetic markers that that make one more likely to to suffer from addiction. And to anyone uh, listening out there, we're not experts. We just uh, right. I'm, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not yeah, a scientist. This is anecdotal, <laughs> um, and we're just talking from our own experiences and from things we've seen, mm. and things we 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 experience ourselves. Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> good, good, good caveat there. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, there's, uh, and people haven't necessarily explored that middle ground as much as, as I think they should. And I, I'm grateful that I got to a point in my life where I recognized that drinking was a problem for me before it became such a big problem that I had to quit entirely because my livelihood, uh, my personal identity are very much tied to, to alcohol and to bars and if I couldn't, 
you know, straw taste a drink that I was making or sample a new spirit that's on the market that would make my life a lot harder. And I know bartenders and bar owners who don't drink at all, who don't touch it anymore. And if that's the right call for them, I, I respect that decision, but it does make things harder. And just the, the social element that goes with it. If you can, if you can drink a little bit, you can, and, but stay out all night and be around people who are drinking and still be comfortable in that environment, then you're not going to miss out on a lot of the networking opportunities that happen late night in bars in this industry, especially at conferences like this one. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've actually, we met. Yeah, at, we were, it was, uh, the Atlanta. It was, yeah, Atlanta was a 2013, 2013, some, uh, sometime around that. It was for, 20, uh, spring of 2014, the, the Diageo world-class competition, which was in conjunction with the, uh, uh, the Southern, Southern regional, Southern regional conference USBG for, conference. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and and so much of this uh, is surrounded by uh, alcohol, and, and I'm not disparaging the idea of you know being sponsored or the drinking you know the the alcohol companies are bad or anything like that. No, but there is a there is the opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. There are plenty of opportunities, and I think that some people are. It's easier to moderate themselves versus others. And I find that at this point, there's a need to start this conversation, right? For some people that are out there that may need to just hear somebody else's point of view and mm-hmm. in, in how they dealt with it and um, mainly how, how you have dealt with it. Yeah. I think that's the only way that we're going to start a very serious and broad conversation about it and in not judging people, but in... Um, allowing people to make that decision so we can hang out and somebody could be drinking and somebody can not and it's, it's it should be all the same mm-hmm. um at the same time i really think that there need to be opportunities for us to hang out at our hours <laughs> so you know just going out for dinner at three and three in the morning three thirty in the morning uh with a group of people and, and and not have anything to drink just hang out yeah have a meal break bread um uh, do the things that you know, the normal people uh, do, and our normal is so different when it comes to the time of day. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you are if you get out of work at midnight, there are very few places that you can go socialize and be in a community with other people that don't revolve around alcohol. So that's one of the things we talked about in the seminar that came up, is that a lot of what the reason that people go to bars after work, it's not because they want to drink I mean they do most people enjoy that quite a bit that's why yeah. we're all in this business because <laughs> you can make money selling it um, but it's they're they're drawn to the interactions that happen in bars to the communities that are built in bars um, but you don't necessarily have to be drunk to participate in that community I'm also lucky I think because um, my parents were were heavy social drinkers but they and they didn't shy away from bringing me and my sister around. Uh, to bars. And I mean, maybe it says something that my sister's an AA and I am a very moderate drinker now. Um, so maybe it wasn't a great example. But for me, it's provided me the ability, it's decoupled, because I wasn't drinking when I was six, but I was still hanging around with people who were drinking. So now as an adult, to not drink, I'm still comfortable being around other people who are. And sort of decoupling that, that you can go out to a bar and just drink soda or just drink water. Um, I do think, and, and this also came up in the seminar, that you start. You still need to be participating in the economy in a meaningful way. That even if you're only drinking soda water, you should still be tipping. You know that you should. Yeah. That somebody is still. 
you're, you're taking up space in that in that world. You need to be a member of it, not just in your physical presence. Yeah, but uh, uh, along with that is the the bar is not going to stay open if people start hanging out there and just drinking water and just taking <laughs> yeah. the bartender. Yeah, that's, the, the, yeah. The light bill is not going to get the, paid. The people need to. Yeah, you should you and, should and buy so, something. But right, but I think that I, I've met and myself included. People that are both that grew up around, you know, being alcohol or bars. You know, I remember being in bars at a young age, um, playing pool and hanging out and mm-hmm. thought nothing of it, right? And uh, and then there are other people that I, I've met to where it becomes a problem. Yeah. Um, I remember coming up in the industry and around age 30, I'm pulling back and starting to not drink as much. And some of the people that I had been started the industry with by the age of 30 were, were having already looked like they were 45. Mm-hmm. And it, and the reason I say that is, is not as a critique, but just because you have to think about what it does to your body physically. Yeah. And, and if you're physically are not healthy, your mind is not going to be healthy. They just, it goes hand in hand. It goes hand and, in hand. And alcohol, um, it affects both, you know, it, it affects your, your emotional well being. It affects your mental faculties and it affects your physical health and it especially and it doesn't take that much if you're only drinking three drinks a night that doesn't feel like a lot that's not even really enough to get to get drunk but if you're drinking three drinks a night every night that will make you very prone to to liver disease to heart disease to high blood pressure and like the there's a reason the CDC suggests a total of seven drinks over the course of a week and no more than four nights a week drinking you know, it's not for mental health reasons. I mean, there's certainly that element to it, but it's because if you continue to do that for your entire life, it will kill you. And if it doesn't kill, some two people it kills faster than others. Um, but one of the things I mentioned in the seminar today, that how many people, how many titans of this industry are going to die in their 50s before we stop looking at what we're doing in our in our 20s and 30s and 40s? You know, that it it it'll catch up with you before you know it, especially if you want to make a, a lifelong career in this industry. And I think that's one of the things that more and more people are, are viewing bartending specifically, but also the hospitality industry more generally as a career choice. It's not just something that you do while you're in. And if it is, I think some of the best bartenders I know just are dabbling while they're in college. And as soon as they get their engineering degree, they're not going to be bartenders anymore. And that's fine. I don't think we should disparage people who are just doing it temporarily. But for those of us who are making it a lifestyle choice, um, you've got to start looking at how to life is long too and a lot of the choices that you make even if you don't die in your 50s if you if you start having really serious health problems starting in your 50s and you live to be in your 80s that's decades of struggling because of some poor choices that you made when you were younger well i think that you know we look at uh, tennis elbow or you know shoulders <laughs> and like yeah. the physical aspect it's hard of, on the back it's hard job, on the knees right that is uh affect us well you know and let's say you work seven days a week, eventually your body physically, you're going to start to break down. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with drinking. I believe that, you know, again, I'm not a doctor, but I would think that, you know, the CDC is saying no more than four, four, uh, four out of seven days, four basically. out of seven days, because your body, your internal organs need time to recover. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing as your, your elbows, your shoulder, your back needs time to recover mm-hmm. after you work. You know, St. Patty's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and it becomes a it becomes a feedback loop that you have. 
it's much easier to make other good choices regarding your health uh, if you're not drinking heavily. So you're more likely, you're less likely to eat shitty fast food at four o'clock in the morning if you haven't been drinking up until that point. It's a lot easier to get up in the morning and be productive and feel good about yourself because you've done something with your day or to get up and go exercise if you're not a little bit hungover all the time. And it becomes, a, it's a positive feedback loop. Once you start breaking that cycle, it makes it a lot easier to make other good choices. And once you start making more good choices, the, like the more you, the more you start working out, the easier it becomes to do it. The more you eat right, the more, the easier it becomes to do it. And you start seeing the results from that too. And once you start seeing the results, then honestly, like having drinking a lot less, I'm happier. I'm healthier. I uh, have more money in my pocket. I'm not, I'm not drinking as much of my own profits. Uh, it's easy. I, I am better at my job when I'm cogent and sober and present at the end of the night to count money. I can get out of there a lot quicker and not miss things. And it, it, it all feeds on itself. But once you, once you start making some of those small changes, it becomes a lot easier to do the other bigger changes down the road. Um, I think the, the, there's, a, there's a White Stripes song, uh, Little Acorns. You ever hear that when you listen to the White Stripes? Yeah. Uh, they had a song. It's mostly just like a spoken word kind of interlude, but it's about... Um, that when when life becomes overwhelming, just break it down into small things. Like what what can you do that's small uh, to get started? And then once you start identifying those small changes that you can make and those small tasks that you yeah. can take to get towards your goals and get those done, then then the next one isn't that big, you know. Then you can chip away at those things a little bit at a time and eventually make a big difference in your life and the lives of those around you, the lives of the people that care about you. I agree. Uh, there's a lot of information out there about uh, being task-driven, mm-hmm. right? Because as, as you know, one of the big ones that I've been hearing a lot lately is how in the uh, in the military they make you make your bed every morning, and psychologically you have accomplished a task already early in the day within you know a certain amount of time that you've been awake. That's a task, mm-hmm. and so you go out throughout your day finishing these small tasks, like you're saying, um, and able to be productive throughout the day. But there's one thing that I want to point out is, is and I've seen, now that you're doing that, but sometimes people get judgmental mm-hmm. when it comes to, the, to drinking, not drinking or drinking too much or, you know, I'm making these choices, you're making those choices. This, is, this, this conversation is about um, actually instigating a bigger conversation within the industry and, and within uh, us, the, the bartenders, the bar managers, the beverage director, you know the 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 wine reps. You know, mm-hmm. um, to start looking at you know things that are affecting your health. That it is affecting your health, and for you to have the productive longevity that you want, and I'm sure that the grand majority of people are doing it because they do enjoy it. They do want a career, and so you know if you want to have that, then you have to have a certain level of uh, physical health and mental health, because. You know, this industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. That means that you can do the same things everybody else does. You can, you know, buy a house, have a family, you know, take vacations. That's a challenge, and I know mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> but I know I've over the, the, the many years that I've been doing this, I've seen people be very disciplined, 
right? And mm-hmm. I can't, they do everything. They take days off. They go on vacation. And I'm like, how in the hell do you do that? It's like, well, they're not going out and blowing, <laughs> you know, a <laughs> yeah, hundred bucks. It adds up quick. Even if you're just going out and blowing 20 bucks a night, that's a lot over oh, the course of a year. I'm talking that's thousands of dollars. I'm talking a yeah. hundred bucks in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, we, we big baller. I mean, mm-hmm. so... But it, it, it happens, and it's it, like you said, it's just you can either have a, a positive uh, feed cycle or a negative feed cycle, and there's also the other one, I, in my opinion, the what we're talking about moderation, which is that balanced mm-hmm. feed cycle that you can have the uh, the shitty food every once in a while, and you can have the drinks, and you know maybe a few too many drinks every once in a while, but every once in a while, it's it's there's a real time in that, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it may be different for every person, but, you know, I hear it too often. Oh, I haven't had a drink in like two days or yeah. I had a drink <laughs> yesterday. And then it's like, you know, you, you, you need to start listening to your body a little bit mm-hmm. more and, and to, to establish a better time cycle. Yeah, that it, it, you got to I went for years uh, sort of repeating a same a similar vicious cycle. Right? Basically, from the time I was 15 to the time I was 30. I would, you know, start drinking casually, then get confident that I could handle any situation, and then eventually I would make a stupid choice or, you know, fall asleep somewhere dangerous or just do something idiotic because I'd been drinking too much that night, then get really embarrassed, clean myself up, quit for a week or so, however long, and then start drinking again carefully and then get overconfident again. And it took me a long time to realize that I was... You know, you're only going to get so far by trimming off the top 10% that I was, I was looking at the wrong piece of the iceberg that mm. I needed to trim off that bottom 90% to really flip things over and make a meaningful, lasting, permanent change in the way that I approach drinking and, and my life in the industry generally. Well, this is a conversation that I think that needs to continue. And I hope that this instigates uh, for you to think about it, um, talk to someone about it or talk to your friends about it. Just, just a conversation. You know, this doesn't have to be a debate. It doesn't have to be an argument. It doesn't have to become something ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are some questions that, that I have in general. Um, and one of them is, you know, is the, the, the excess drinking keeping us from being a really, truly professional uh, industry in, in, that, in that space where everyone thinks that if you're bartending, or you work in a restaurant, you work in a bar, you're just waiting for something else to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, something, you're, you're going to school, you, you, I don't know, waiting on the lottery or, you know, <laughs> yeah. inheritance. Uh-huh. I don't know. But people kill time in the service industry. They that, do. That's the perception, though, at least. Right. And, and, we, and there are people who do. Right, that we talked about, and that's fine. Some yeah. of them are, are very good at what they do. Absolutely. And there's room for that. Um, yeah, I do think that people probably, I don't, it's hard for me to say because I'm not on the outside looking in, but I do think that it's probable that people are more likely to take this industry seriously if they don't see us sloppy behind the bar. You know, this is the only industry I can think of where it's pretty well accepted to do drugs on the job and not just alcohol. People are, you know, pop Adderall or do a bump of Coke in the back or, or get high in the kitchen. I mean, there's, there's a million things that people do and I'm I'm not, again, I'm not here to judge. I am. Well, no, because I I know other industries. Okay. (laughs) Working at a bar (laughs) in, in, in nightclubs, you know, happy hours for, uh, you know, corporate events. You can you they, find all not, kinds of I, shit in are the they, trash. Are they drunk at work, though? 
It's like, are they? Do they get drunk? On, I mean, and maybe I mean, you, you watch Mad Men; they're drinking all day long. And maybe in some industries that that's still the standard. But in in the bar industry, I do think that you're, it's normal to drink yeah. while you do while you go through your work life in a way that's probably not as normal as it may once have been for for corporate America, for example. Right. Like, yeah, they'll cut loose and do all sorts of shit after work, <laughs> and maybe during work too. I don't know. Again, it's hard for me to say because I've, this is the only life I've known. I've never been in the corporate world. I've never been. I've never had a desk job. Right. I've only ever I've, my entire life. I've, my entire adult life. My entire professional life. I've been a bartender or a bar owner. Bar owner. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, um, thank you for your time. Yeah. Um, thanks for thanks for sitting down. That was and thanks uh, for going to the seminar. It was no, that, that was that was fantastic. I mean, and once I saw it, I, I was really intrigued, and I saw that you were there, and I and I see some of your social media posts mm-hmm. about the the issue, and and I was interested in in what you had to say, and, and I think that it's it's important for someone like you to to say something, and again, to me, is this, let's instigate the conversation mm-hmm. in in conversation. Yeah. Right? I'm not. I'm not here to tell anyone how to live their life. There, there are plenty of people I know who who drink quite a bit, who I don't think have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. There are people who drink at work, and that helps them in a meaningful way do their job better as bartenders. It's a social lubricant, and it can help you feel like you're you're part of the experience. Help the guests feel like you're part of the experience. So I don't want to be prescriptive about about any of this, but I also want to provide. An example for people. I want to be, by being open about it, by being uh, sort of living my life out in the open this way, that this choice isn't something that I need to be ashamed of necessarily. And it was at first. It was hard to sort of um, to own it. There's a little people. There's an element of judgment. It's like oh, that somehow I felt like a failure because I couldn't drink as much as I want to sometimes in the industry. Um, but I think it's important to show that there are other ways to approach the lifestyle. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I agree with you, and again, um, I do feel like there's a certain level of professionalism we need to start taking seriously mm-hmm. ourselves. Yeah, um, and uh, I think it, it, it that is one place mm-hmm. to start looking. I mean, real real professional tasters of spirits, they spit all of them. I mean, you, you can't not if you're just if that's your job and you're you're doing sensory evaluations of wine and spirits all day. You gotta spit. There's uh, that's you know the. It, you can decouple the job from drinking. You, know, you don't have to drink to do this job. I think that's a, an important takeaway. I agree. I agree. Well, um, I hope uh, you have some uh, ideas on this. And to you, the listener, I hope that, uh, again, the conversation starts within you, your mind. You start going through that internal monologue and saying, huh, should I, shouldn't I, what is it? If there's not an issue for you, then, you know, there's nothing to think about. Um, but if it's something that you have thought about and um, maybe need to think about it a little bit more and, and get comfortable with whichever side it is that you, uh, that you are. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. Until next time, keep the conversation going.